At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to look deeper into 1 Peter, tuning into our current series, Unshakable, Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. Join us as we allow God's Word to shape us and renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. All right, as we're looking at 1 Peter chapter uh, 1, we're going to begin in verse 22 today. So go ahead and find that in your Bibles. I got a question for you. Um, is it just me or does it seem like the world is on edge? Right? It's not just me, right? Does it, does it feel as though people are right now constantly living on the verge of losing it? Do you feel that way? I mean, I'm driving down the road and I've seen more road rage in the past several weeks than I think I've seen in my whole entire life. And it's not just someone cutting someone off and flipping them the, the bird or anything like that. It's like true and pure anger. Like shaking of fists and honking of horns and swerving towards trying to knock people off the road. I've also been in the stores and seen uh, people that are shopping, like yelling at clerks and, and people that are just trying to serve. People are so irritated. People are angry. People are mad. Do you guys feel that way? I, I don't know what it is. It seems like, it almost feels like uh, 2020 is like a dumpster fire. And like someone's throwing kerosene on top of it. I, I, I don't understand what's truly going on, but I do know it. Maybe all of this craziness is coming from the pressure from the pandemic. Maybe people are, are, are sensing the increased racial divide and maybe people are looking at the protests and becoming frustrated by that. Or maybe it's just because it's a political season or maybe there's financial or relational pressures in each one of our lives. But for whatever reason, it seems like the world is on edge. And during this season, do you find yourself scratching your head saying, as a Christian, how am, I, how am I supposed to respond in a time like this? Are you guys asking yourself that question? Like, how should I live in response to the, the fact that the world's going crazy and, and I believe that God is sovereign, so how do I work all of that out in my day-to-day -day life? How do I balance faith and, and fear? How do I not give myself over into fear? And how do I trust in God? And, and, and how do I figure all that out? Is anyone there? You're scratching your head? Well, you're in the right place. You're in the right place because today we're going to continue looking at this letter that, for, that Peter writes to Christians that were scattered throughout the Roman Empire that find themselves as Christians living in an ever-increasing hostile world to their faith. And so Peter, in a great loving pastoral way, writes this letter to believers to encourage them. And as we've been talking, how do we live unshakable lives in a completely unpredictable world? How do we live grounded lives? And we're going to continue looking at this today. As this passage that we're going to see that begins in verse 22 of chapter 1 and goes to chapter 2 verse 3. As we look at this passage, what we're going to see is as Peter has been encouraging the church and encouraging believers, he began talking about embrace, the need to embrace our new identity. As Christians, we need to see ourselves as elect exiles. This is an important identity that we need to, to come to understand. First, the fact that we are elect, meaning that God knew before the foundation of the earth that we would be alive at this time in history that God knew that you would be a follower of him and he knew that you would be alive in the midst of these challenging days and he 
has, he wants you here. So as elect, it's part of God's plan that you're here. But then also we need to take on the identity as being an exile. Reminding ourselves and remembering that this is not our home. As we live in this life, this life is kind of like a hotel. Right? You don't go into a hotel and try to fix the hotel. You kind of just embrace the hotel. You're like, thank you for the free breakfast. Thank you for the nice pool. Thank you for the warm towel. You're not walking through Home Depot trying to figure out ways that you can make your hotel nicer, right? So you live as an exile. This is not our home. We wait and we yearn for our heavenly dwelling that, God has, uh, that Jesus is going to prepare the place for us. So as elect exiles, we are called, not only as we looked at last week, we're called to live holy lives. We, our lives are called to look distinct from the world. And today, Peter is now shifting to talk, from talking about how do we relate to the world as Christians. Now he's going to be talking about how do we relate to one another as believers inside of the church, in this church family. How are we called to live among ourselves? And what we're going to see quite simply is the call that is on our lives is to love one another. You might not believe this, but in a world that is full of bad, we can actually have an opportunity to experience something good. Look at the end of, of chapter 2, verse 3. He gives us, Paul, Peter gives us this clarifier. It's this conditional statement. And he says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, if... You have experienced the goodness of God, then you have the opportunity to love one another. Or another way of saying it, it is from experiencing the goodness of God that we now show charity and love towards one another. That's the clarifier of all of this is possible. This call to love one another is only possible if we each have personally experienced the goodness of God in our lives. If you haven't experienced the goodness of God in your life yet, it is impossible for you to live out this command to love one another. So my prayer today, as we, we see that God gives us this open invitation to taste the goodness of God. If you're here today, God is giving you an invitation to experience, to taste the goodness of God. And my prayer for us today is that as we experience the goodness of God, that that would move us in our lives to love one another. Have you ever had that experience like you had that milkshake that you've been wanting for for a long time and you finally taste it and you're like, oh, this is so good. What's your next statement? You gotta try this. Right? you got to try this. When you taste something that's so good, whether it's pizza, whether it's a milkshake, whether it's ice cream, whether it's a cookie, whether it's uh, grandma's turkey on Thanksgiving Day, as soon as you taste it and you know that it's good, you don't want to keep it to yourself. You want to share it. You're like, you got to taste this. you got to taste and see how this is good. And in much the same way for those of us that have experienced the goodness of God in our lives, his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness, we don't want to keep it to ourselves. We want to give it away because the goodness of God is too good to be kept to ourselves. Those that experience the goodness of God can't keep it to themselves. And this is what Peter calls believers, you and I, to love one another based on the fact that we've experienced the love of God ourselves. So let's look at how Peter develops this, this call to love, experience the goodness of God. Let's go back to verse 22. 
And he says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth from a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So I want to unpack this command that he gives us to to love one another for a moment. Peter gives us the imperative. The only imperative in those verses is this command or this call to love one another. Then he describes it. As Christians, we are called to sincerely express brotherly love to one another. Now, he uses two different words in this this sentence to describe love. First, he uses uh, the phileo kind of love, which is the brotherly kind of love, the the family kind of love. We are to see see each other as family. In the same way, if you see someone messing with your younger brother or whatever, you're going to step up for them, right? Inside the home, you you and your younger brother may fight and you may argue, but if someone else steps in and starts messing with your younger brother, you come to their defense, right? And in in the same way, similar way, that's what he's talking about is that we love each other in a, in a brotherly, familial kind of way. And then he uses another word to try to describe this love, and it's the word agape. It's that sacrificing kind of love that I exist and I love you, not for the benefit of myself, but I love you in such a way that you are lifted up, that you are exalted, that I make your life better. So I'm going to do whatever it takes in my life so that you can be better. He says, this is what you're called to do. Not only live as family, but you're to sacrifice for one another. Then he gives some more clarifiers. He says, your love is to be sincere. Your love is to be genuine. Your love is to be without hypocrisy. It's to be not fake. It's to be real. It's to come from a sincere place that you care for those that are part of God's family. But he goes on, he says, not only are you called to love each other sincerely, but you're called to, we're called to love one another earnestly. It's this idea of loving one another continuously, without ceasing, that it's not just for a season in our life or, or when you're loving back. We love earnestly towards one another. We have a passion for each other where we care for one another that, is, that comes from a pure heart. You're like, okay, I get all that. That sounds wonderful. How in the world do I do that? Because it's so hard. Well, I want us to see underlying in these couple of verses, we need to see the beauty of the word, the word. Because all of this is possible because of the word's work in our lives. In these three verses, we see the word word used three times. Let's look at how it describes it. Verse 22, this word is described as truth. As truth. This word is is based on truth. The foundation of right and wrong, good and bad. This word is truth. We see in verse 23 that this word is the words of God. So the God of the universe, the creator of all things, who determines what is true, this word, it comes from God. But then in verse 25, we see the word is the gospel. 
The word is the good news that was preached to us. So we must ask ourselves the question, what's he, what's he talking to about the word? What is this word that he's referring to? Well, I believe that the word or the good news is expressed through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And this word is expounded upon through the revelation of Scripture. Another way of saying that is the word is Jesus. And the word is the Bible that reveals Jesus. And you may be asking yourself the question, why, why in the world do we make such a big deal about Jesus? Well, we kind of already talked about it a little bit as we shared in the Lord's Supper together. But it's Jesus who came to live the life that we couldn't and died the death that we deserve. The Bible is God's word that points everything to salvation in Jesus. So the gospel message is this quite simply. That you and I have sinned. You and I have rebelled against God. And you and I deserve punishment for our sin. But God loves us so much that he didn't leave us there in our sinless state. But sent Jesus to come. To live the perfect life. And to abide by all God's design. So that he could go to a cross and be a sacrifice for sin. And Jesus died on the cross. And was raised from the dead and now is alive. And through his resurrection, he has done the work of forgiveness. He has made a way for us to be right with God. But in order for us to experience that, we must come to the point of placing faith in Jesus. We, we can't just think in our minds that, that Jesus was a good man that said a bunch of good things and lived a good life. Because that's not all that Jesus did. Jesus became our sacrifice for us, and we need to believe in that, place faith in him. And once we place faith in the word or place faith in the person of Jesus, then that's when we receive forgiveness. Look at how he describes it in verse 22. He says, it's from our having purified your souls by the obedience to the truth. What he's saying is, is that through our obedience or through our uh, faith in the truth, which is Jesus, what that has done is provided purifying of our souls. Our souls are washed clean. The things that we have done in the past, our evilness and our deceit and our malice and all of those things that make up an evil life have been purified, not just in our hearts, but they've been purified in our very souls. This is a beautiful thing that God has done for us. Through experiencing the, this cleansing of our souls, we've been given a new life. We've been given a new birth. We've tasted the goodness and forgiveness and mercy of our God. You see, our old life has taught us that we, life is about loving yourself. But this new life that we are given gives us a new way to live and a new way to walk. The gospel says that God loves you. The gospel says it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you are. God loves you. And when you experience the love of God, now you have the opportunity to share this kind of love with others. So the word is Jesus. The word uh, is the Bible that reveals Jesus. But one, I want us to see in verses 24 and 25 the permanence of this word. 
This is not just a word that is, that is shaky. It's not just a word that changes. It is a word that remains. It is this word that is not like the grass. For we know, and we see this even now today, that the grass that was once very, very green and in the earliest of spring is now turning brown and it's now dying and it's getting ready to go to a dormant state. He's saying that's not the word of God. The word of God remains forever. The word of God sustains us while we live. It corrects us. It redirects our thoughts and our affections. The word planted inside of us will not fade away, but it has the power to move us to a type of sacrificial love. We say, what does sacrificial love look like? Like I I can kind of get it when when I think about how I love my kids, but what does that look like? I think the best example of sacrificial love is given to us through the person of Jesus. In Philippians chapter two, verses four through eight, this is the type of love that Jesus has, the sacrificial type of love that we're called to live. Paul writes in Philippians, he says, let each one of you look not to your own interests, but also to the interest of others, having his mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to describe Jesus. Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself to become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, Jesus gave up his rights for the sake of others. Jesus became a servant. And this is so countercultural to the world we live in today because the world tells us today that we need to be the kings of our own kingdoms, that we need to amass our own amounts of wealth and we need to do all these things for ourselves. And that goes, flies right in the face of what the gospel says. The gospel says, love others by sacrificing yourself. Can you think of a, another time in life where this message is more relevant? I mean, we turn on the TV and we check out social media and we see all things that are going on that's not described as this kind of love. This is what the world desperately needs is they need followers of Jesus that step in to this world and engage through loving one another, especially as we're in the midst of all this craziness. The world does not need a cure to the coronavirus. The world does not need a new politician. The world does not need to to defund the police or, or, or value the police. The world doesn't need that. What the world needs is Jesus. That's all the world needs is Jesus. And how are they gonna know Jesus? Through us. And the way that the world is gonna know us or know Jesus is by the way we love one another. This is exactly what Jesus says in John chapter 13, verse 55, or 35. He says, by, all, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's the mark of our life. The mark of our life is to express and to show love for one another. He didn't say that people will know that you are my disciple by which political position you, you have. He's not asking us, what is your stance in the pandemic? He's not gonna wonder if you're a, have, are a patriot or not. All people will know that we are his disciples by how we love one another. That's the mark. 
You want to be a difference maker in the world today? Love your brothers and sisters Christ well. Like, okay, I get it. I hear you. But what does that look like? Well, this type of love that he's talking about is not the worldly type of love that we see expressed today. The world sees love as an erotic type of love or sentimentalism. That we, we see it as so tied into our feelings and our emotions that our, and we know that our feelings and emotions are fickle, right? They, one day I, I love this, the next day I don't. And this is not what he's calling us to do, but he's calling us to love in such a way that engages all of who we are. Love in such a way that engages our mind, Love in such a way that engages our will and love in such a way that does come from our affections. Not just our affections, but all of those things coming together help us to love in a right way. Love is more than just hearing one of our brothers and sisters going through a difficult time, hearing them give us a prayer request and respond by saying, I'll pray for you. That's a cop-out. Because you and I both know when you say that, you don't often pray. We just use that as a Christian cliche to each other. Oh, I'm sorry you're going through a difficult time. I'm going to pray for you. No, love is you're going through a difficult time. I'm going to bear this burden with you. I'm coming alongside you as you walk with this burden. You're not carrying it alone, but I'm going to walk with you. I will pray for you, but I'm also going to be with you. It's not good enough, brothers and sisters, just to say, I'll pray for you. That's not doing your Christian duty to our brothers and sisters by just saying, I'll pray for you. But when we say we love one another, it's love that, is pressing, that presses in and figures out the need and engages in a way that helps to make a difference that comes from a pure heart. Loving someone that's not going to give you anything in return. Giving of your, your time and your resources and, and who you are to help the brothers is what we're called to do. So how are we doing as a church? How are you doing as a follower of Jesus during these days? Over this last week, has your life been marked by love? Maybe, maybe just take a moment to, to evaluate this last month. Evaluate your conversations, your, your social media posts, your interactions with others, interacting with those that dis disagree with you or have a different opinion than you. Has it been marked by love? Or has it looked like something else? Maybe the next, for this next month, the best thing that you can do is to not allow your heart to be shaped by the world. Instead, what if, what if for the next month, like you took a sabbatical from social media? What if you took a sabbatical from watching the news and instead of devoting your time that you would give to social media and the time that you would give to watching the news, and what if you just spent time in the word? What if, what if you just crawled up on the lap of your heavenly father and just said, God, I wanna know Jesus. God, help me to know. Help me to think how you think. Help me to feel about the ways that you want me to feel about the things that you feel. Help me to live in a way that you want me to live. What if we did that? How would our lives be different? 
I'll tell you one thing, you wouldn't be all freaking out because every single page you'd be hearing God say, I got you, I got you, I got you, I got you. Unmovable. In a shakable world, we can live that way. God has given us everything that we need to live holy lives. Taste the goodness of God through loving others. And secondly, we are to taste the goodness of God through growing up and love, through growing and love. Look at me in verse uh, one of chapter two. He says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So the second thing that we see in this text is that we are to grow up and love. We see that love isn't just something that we say, but love is something that we do. It's from this place of being born again. It's from this place of experiencing the cleansing of God that we are able to move into others' lives and to grow up. That means to mature, but also to love. But he says in order to do this, what we need to do if we want to to grow in this way is we must begin by putting off. Putting off some things. When you live in this life as an unbeliever, your life has put on a lot of layers of things. And so this idea of putting, putting off is like taking off layers of clothing, right? So, and then he gives us a list of the things that we should be putting off in our lives. We are to be putting off malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. These are things that are indicative of people that live in the world and live of the world. You see, as created beings, we have the potential for a lot of evil. You and I are evil people. And you can, you can say, I'm not that evil. Yeah, you are. You really are evil. Because you've done all of these things. Malice is a general word for evil that carries hostility and possibly even intention to cause harm. It is possible that someone that does malice actually sits back and thinks about how they're going to get even with the person. You ever done that? Have you ever been guilty of deceit? This is the practice of deceiving someone in order to conceal the truth so that you can misrepresent the truth. Have you ever told half-truths? Hypocrisy is the practice of claiming to have moral standards, um, but behaving in a way that doesn't actually line up with your moral standards. Envy, envy is rooted in covetousness. Slander is speaking evil of someone else to bring them hard. All of these sins destroy relationships and community. You can't have these things and walk in the family of faith. The family of faith is not to have any of these. And what Peter's telling us here, even though as humans we're capable of pure evil, our response is to take these off, to rid ourselves or to shed ourselves from the backpack full of these sins in our lives. As I've said, as humans, we're capable of pure evil. Have you ever rejoiced over the misfortune or failure of someone else? This week, we've seen this played out, in, even in our own world. As our president, President Trump, tested positive for the coronavirus, we see some people went out there to social media and said, ah, 
I wish he would just die. Really? I've seen horrendous posts, even from Christians, that say horrendous things about our governor. Like, this is not so for the Christian. We do not respond in this way. This is unbecoming the behavior of a Christian. We respond in love. Why? Because each person is made in the image of God. And each person has equal value. Even if you may question the intentions of someone else, guess what? They're still made in the image of God and they have value. And we need to stand up for that. This may be true for the world, but that's not called what we're called to do. Put it away. Shed them from our lives. And when we shed it away, he gives us a way to, to pursue. In verse 2, he says, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. You see, God wants us to grow up into salvation. We're to mature in our love. We're not supposed to stay in the same place. We don't just come into a relationship with Jesus and then sit soaking sour. We come into a relationship with Jesus that with an imperishable seed that has been planted inside of us and we grow in that. We become on a passionate pursuit of being more like Jesus. I'm so thankful for the kids that we've had in this season in our worship service, the, the little babies that have been here. And how great is it in, is to see them. But how crazy would it be for us to come back five years from now and see an infant still being an infant? Right? Think about how crazy that would be. Like the little baby that's like a year old, five years from now, still looks and acts like a one-year-old. We would think, man, there's something wrong with that baby. We would, we would think to ourselves, well, that baby's a, a failure to thrive. That baby, maybe it's got some... some bad parents or maybe that baby's got something going on that we should take a look at because something's wrong and in the same way we should do the same spiritual diagnosis of our hearts this is not a season for us to point fingers at everyone else it's the problem the problem begins in our heart because our hearts are wicked our hearts want to go towards these things that are evil and yet God says no Put it, put it off. Instead, pursue the spiritual milk that will sustain you, that will nourish you, that will help you grow. Where do we find this milk? We find this milk in the person of Jesus. By pursuing an intimate relationship through Jesus and through his word. Do you see how it all works together? You want to know the answer to our days, how we should respond to this world we live in? Pursue Jesus. Pursue him with all of our hearts, with all of our minds, and all that we are. What does love look like these days? Love looks like not allowing politics to divide us. That's for out there. That's not for in here. We love by understanding that the difference of opinion or the different points of view that don't violate scripture are okay. It's okay for us to disagree. It's okay for us to have different opinions as long as it doesn't violate scripture. Just because someone disagrees with you doesn't make them the enemy. We are the family of God. Let's walk these days together 
in love. Because when the world sees us walking together in love, they will crave what we have. And what do we have? We have Jesus. Maybe this morning, as you've been listening uh, to God's word, the Holy Spirit has been convicting you of some sin. Maybe you've been unloving or maybe you've had some of these, these evil thoughts or evil desires and you haven't really had the opportunity to really wrestle with them. Well, as we sing this last song, I want to encourage you to wrestle with God, to give him over, to shed yourselves of this evilness that finds its way into our lives and let us pursue love together. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you've never come into a relationship with him, you can by calling on his name, by confessing your sins and asking him to be the Lord and Savior of your life. And if you want more information about that, come grab me after the service and I'd love to share with you how you can know Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today. Father, we thank you that your word helps to reset our minds and our hearts even today. How are we to respond in these days, God? We are called to love. We are called to love because you love us. And so, Father, help that to be the mark of our lives in this season. Help us to, to move towards sacrificial love towards one another. And may the world see that and desire you. Father, we are elect. You have called us to live in this season. Father, I pray that you would wake us up. Open our eyes to see the times. Help us to not be guilty of sitting on the sidelines and allowing this world to pass us by. But Father, give us a passion. Give us a desire. Move us to love. God, history will judge us as to how we respond. May our church not be guilty. of missing the opportunity to engage our culture through love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.